Welcome to The Future Built Smarter, a podcast in which IMEG engineers discuss innovative and trend-setting building and infrastructure design with architects, owners, and others in the AEC industry. I'm your host, Joe Payne, and with me again today is Mike Lawless, IMEG's Director of Innovation. Mike, how you doing? Oh, I'm great. I'm great. Always, uh, always fun to be here with you, Joe. Always fun to be with you, Mike, as well. Today's topic is decarbonization in healthcare. Joining us today, we have Eric Vandenbroek, Senior Director of Healthcare at IMEG, and Adam McMillan, Director of Sustainability. Adam, to get us started, uh, give us a big picture look at the, uh, the whole decarbonization issue and uh, what that entails from a high level. You know, largely in the U.S., a lot of people are really coming to terms with how climate change is impacting our everyday lives, potentially also our economy. And it's driven a lot of change, especially over the last couple of years throughout the private sector. Um, we've seen leads in the higher education sector and some industrials due to ESG and other uh, initiatives. And then the healthcare sector over the last couple of years has really come online to this topic. And I think, I think it is a, a responsibility piece that they feel and also good business practice for them. So we really see some, you know, changes in society and then our businesses and healthcare industry taking some good steps to really focus on this topic. Yeah, Eric, what, when we think about healthcare and decarbonization, you know, what are clients asking us and what's, you know, what's driving this, this initiative for a lot of our clients? That's an interesting question, Mike, because right now we're still seeing a lot of people really just getting their feet wet on this topic. It's, it's something that people are still trying to get their arms around, but the folks that are heading down that road, um, as Adam said, they really want to be, you know, good stewards of the environment. They want to be, uh, they want to show responsibility for, for what's happening to our, uh, to our climate, to our planet, and really looking towards the future. So Eric, are, are some healthcare organizations making some commitments around decarbonization and climate change? And what kind of commitments are they making? Yeah, no, they, they definitely are, Mike. Um, there's a health sector climate pledge right now, which has organizations committing to reduce their uh, emissions by 50% by 2030. There's also several other uh, initiatives, the AIA 2030 commitment, which is the architects that work in these facilities and design the, the new facilities and the renovations are um, committing to reduce carbon as well. And then the Carbon Leadership Energy Forum is a 2040 challenge, again, focused on reducing carbon. And, you know, we're talking about healthcare today, but this is really a, you know, a much broader, much broader issue. And the reason I think it's so important for healthcare is because our U.S.-based healthcare system is responsible for 8.5% of the, the nation's emissions right now. And that's 2.4% of the, the world's emissions. And 50% of the global healthcare emissions. So if you stop and think about what that means a little bit, we are in the United States definitely disproportionately uh, emitting um, way over our share of the, the carbon that we should be using in the environment. And we really need to get a handle on that and, and get that back under control uh, to make sure we're contributing our part. One thing I just wanted to chime in on that, too, is one change is we've seen the doctors getting involved in these initiatives now. And what we've heard from some of our clients is that the doctors are seeing a different kind of patient where they're seeing different illnesses or frequency of illnesses they've seen in the past. 
And a lot of it they think is attributed to climate change. So not only do they want to take care of the people that are inside of their buildings, but they want to take care of the people that maybe never come inside their buildings too. So there's also this human health element to it that's driving it as well as, you know, the need for slowing down carbon. So Adam and Eric, so as, you know, there's more interest, there's commitments that are being made. And really the the goal is how do they, how do these healthcare systems care for their patients, not only within the four walls of their facility, but as they go out in the broader community and, and how do some, does some of these efforts, you know, help with climate change and that, that care for those patients? What kind of steps are they taking as they start down this path of decarbonization? I assume it's, it's not a, you know, a thing where you do a couple things and you're done. I'm, I'm assuming it's sort of a journey. Yeah. You know, certainly there's a lot of public discourse on this topic and anything to do to be green, like where do I start as a health care organization? Because they're very different than maybe, you know, you maybe want to make your home have less carbon. It's very different than a hospital. And carbon is one of those sticky issues. As you can, as you dig, dig, you keep finding more and more carbon in more pockets. It's like when I ask my son to find something in his room and he can't find it, I go dig in there and then you find 10 other things you were looking for last week. Um, so it can be pretty complex and, you know, really trying to boil it down to like three very simple steps um, as we use as a starting point. And the first one is, you know, assessing your carbon footprint, just knowing where you, where you stand. Are you good? Are you bad? Are you average? And, and doing the work to just quantify your carbon footprint. And then optimizing building performance is a second step, which owners have been doing for a long time in many systems. And the third one now is offsetting it with renewables um, to, to get to those 50% goals and even the zero goals that Eric mentioned. Um, and then along with that, a fourth element is electrification of the building. So those are like the four big buckets, I guess, that uh, is a good place to start the conversation. And I'll add something to that too. Even before you get to looking at those goals, I mean, we have operational carbon, which is really the the items that that Adam hit on there. But we also, you know, have the embodied carbon, which is all the carbon required to build or renovate a building. And there's a vast amount of um, emissions that come from that. And operational carbon can be spread out over, you know, number of years, the lifetime of the facility. But when you're building a building, all those things may occur in a year or two, um, you know, everything from, um, you know, mining the raw materials to produce the steel or the other, um, you know, components that are required to build that building and transporting all that equipment and the construction equipment that's required to, to put that, um, that infrastructure in place. I mean, it, there's a, there's a lot to do even before we get to the operational part of that building that needs to be considered. And I guess, Eric, to give folks a little bit of a sense of that embodied carbon, the carbon it takes to build the building, you know, how many years of operational carbon is that equivalent to that it just takes to build the building? That could be equivalent anywhere from 10 to 20 years. Um, and as I said, it's it's that 10 to 20 years is condensed down into one to two years, depending on the size of the project. So once that's out there, there's really nothing you can do to reduce that. Whereas when you're talking about operational carbon and, you know, some of the things that Adam just brought up, there are things that you can do to reduce that. But, you know, during construction, it's out there and, um, you know, it's just something we have to deal with moving forward. So it, it really helps to take a, a look at what you're doing really early in the process to figure out how you can re reduce your carbon footprint, even as you're planning, um, you know, facility expansion or renovation. 
Adam, I guess to, to follow up as, as groups are getting into this journey, you talked about renewables and this 50% goal are in order to reach 50% are renewable is renewable energy really a, a part of that to achieve that goal? Yeah, I think it is a critical um, part. In, in our executive guide, we kind of lay out this path to the first 50% and what you can get through optimizations and tracking and stuff. We'll get you part of the way there. But the reality is for most to get to 50%, some sort of renewable is going to be required, most likely that solar PV. Um, and the second part of that is it's in the long-term plan if you're on this path. So what we really encourage um clients to do is figure out where you can do that first solar PV project or that first renewable project so you can figure out, do I want to own it? Do I want it on my site? Do I want to lease it? Or do I want to do a a power purchase agreement if you occur it otherwise? Because the sooner you get that embedded in the organization, we found that that becomes a tool that's pretty, pretty powerful. And financially, the incentives have never been better. federally and even locally in many states. So it really, it becomes a fairly critical piece to start with in this first, you know, wave of decarbonization. And Adam, on the, you know, the solar side in particular, what, what do the economics of that look like? I think you, you sort of alluded to that, but what do the economics look like for systems as they're thinking about that first solar project? Yeah. So for Owners that want to procure it themselves, assuming they have space on their roof or in the green field to put solar, you know, with federal incentives coming back at 30%. And now for healthcare organizations that are nonprofits, they effectively get a grant. So once you apply, you know, 30% of those savings, maybe some local incentives and, you know, the continuing falling price of PV, most of the time these come under a 10-year payback. Um, The other side, the other way we've seen systems do it and becoming more popular is that they will simply lease their space to a third party. And we've done this in, in the Midwest here recently. We helped um, a system go out to bid where basically they said, uh, here's how much space I have available. How much solar can you put in it? And then tell me how many cents per KWH will you sell it to me for? And they found that really the premium that they're buying it back wasn't much more than what they're paying. And they've locked in that price for the next five to 10 years, where who knows what the utility price may, may go in the future. So there are a couple of different ways to go at it. And you can have it as part of a capital plan or there are ways to put it into your operational budget. So there are different approaches depending on, on how you're set up. So Eric, as, this, as we're adding you know, solar, I think we see, all of us see more and more solar on rooftops. How are those solar systems getting integrated into that campus? And can they be used for more than just you know, offsetting some of our energy use through renewable energy? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point, Mike, because you know, we talked about you know, considering um, you know, planning for uh, our decarbonization really early in the project. And as facilities are looking at master plans, um, these PV systems are not small. They take up a vast amount of space. So if PV is going to be in your future, figuring out where that can go and how to integrate that into your campus, you know, maybe it's a rooftop, maybe it's a parking garage, maybe you're fortunate and you have, you know, a large uh, plot of land next to your campus. That's a great way to start. And then as those systems get integrated 
into your distribution system, bottom line is it's going to take up more space to integrate those systems into your distribution system for the for the battery storage, for the uh, you know the related equipment, for the solar system, solar panels to um, to be integrated, for the transfer systems. You know, you name it, everything's going to take space. So you really got to think about how you're going to integrate those systems and where those things can go as you plan your campus. And, and I know this is a little bit of a tangent, but I think a lot of people think, you know, that hospital facility I see, they've got solar panels on the roof. So if they lose power, they can use <laughs> that solar to help them, you know, serve their patients. You know, how, how accurate is, is, is that thought process? Uh, conceptually, it looks great, but the reality of that situation is it takes a lot of solar panels to really, uh, um, you know, make up for uh, a code required essential power system in a facility. So, um, you know, solar is still something that is going to supplement the power system in a facility. It's not going to replace that power system in a facility right now. So it becomes a combination. The solar can maybe be a small part of it, but you're still use, utilizing other you know, generators and other systems sort of working together to, to power the facility. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, there's, um, I think, I think the number is 60% of our power grid is still powered through fossil fuels, with which leaves 40% with wind and other and solar and other sources. So, you know, that's quite a substantial number, and it really translates down on a kind of a micro scale to an individual facility, including a hospital. So, you really need to have something else supplementing that system as you're as you're moving forward. You know, an interesting development just within the last week. Um, you know, we had we had talked about microgrids in a previous podcast, and the Center for Medicare and Medicaid came out with a uh, categorical waiver uh, at the end of March for uh, healthcare microgrid systems that could actually be used as the essential power system in a facility, if that makes sense. Now. To power a large-scale facility, you'd need an awful large uh, microgrid to do that. But microgrids can consist of wind, solar, um, you know, other various components. But it is a start, and we're starting to see federal organizations and even some local authorities having jurisdiction change their view about what is considered an essential power system. So I think we're at a point right now where we're going to start seeing a shift um, as to what these... uh, these various systems can be used for and how, how widely accepted they're going to be, especially in healthcare. And I think, you know, I think it's encouraging that as we look at how do we solve, you know, decarbonization, it's going to take all of us working together. It's going to take new technologies, but I'm excited to see that even regulatory agencies who are sometimes slow to change are starting to give some, some opportunities that, that contribute to all of us getting, you know, further down this decarbonization path. I guess to, to wrap things up, Adam, you know, if, if somebody's getting ready to get started, I know you talked about your three steps, but what's that kind of one kind of easy thing that, that somebody could maybe start with and, and you know, start there and, and continue to move forward on their, on their path? Yeah. You know, I think what we see in some systems is that uh, the healthcare sector, the C-suite or others are signing on to this healthcare uh, climate pledge that Eric mentioned. And no one else in the organization knows anything about it, or maybe they've heard about it, but didn't know their facility was, or their system was looking at it. So now as a facilities manager or as a, as a planner, suddenly you're handed this, this edict, all right, all right, we signed up for this thing, let's go figure it out, right? So we get that question a lot, like, 
geez, where do I even start? You know, I, I'm assuming I'm going to have to ask for some money. So what should I start budgeting for? And that'll be different for every organization. But bottom line is that just getting in place, what's the utility consumption for all your facilities into a common place so you can start to calculate that carbon footprint. That's that's the easy, easy number one to talk about um, and start to work on. A lot of organizations are already working through utility programs for optimization, so those things can continue. Um, so I, you know, I think those kind of things are definitely the first couple of steps. And then, if they're serious about the pledge, twenty forty is not too far along. So getting some sort of master planning around just what are those those next steps is really a good place to go. And there's good audience out there through the different groups. Ashi has a lot of really good resources out there. Um, healthcare without harm and others. So the industry is responding with some more guidance on it as well. So there are there are opportunities out there, but this is one that's definitely going to take rolling up the sleeves and just, you know, getting people committed to working through it. Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks, Adam. I think that's a great place to start. And it's, I'm excited to see that, you know, healthcare organizations are addressing what Eric pointed out, that they do make a, a pretty big contribution to some of these climate change um, challenges that we have, and they're being creative and innovative to, to help solve some of those challenges. The thing that everybody needs to really keep in mind too is these changes don't occur overnight. I mean, in many cases, you might be talking about a a twenty year plus plan to convert a you know a facility to uh, complete electrification, which is which is going to help the whole decarbonization effort. I mean, there's so many different systems on the air side, on the water side, um, with the electrical distribution system that need to be upgraded and changed. And, you know, obviously capital funding is is not unlimited. So there really needs to be a solid plan in place. But people really need to realize that this is not an overnight situation. It's going to take planning. It's going to take a, a concerted effort over a great number of years to make this happen. Eric and Adam, thank you both so much for giving us a high-level look at the topic of decarbonization in healthcare. Those who'd like to read more about the topic can download the free iMeg Executive Guide, Decarbonization in Healthcare. Just go to our website, imegcorp.com, click on the Insights tab, and the drop-down menu will show you a list of our guides. We'll be back soon with another episode of The Future Built Smarter. Until then, thanks for listening, and take care.